Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Tumble is still officially on summer break, but we have a special episode for you today that's got something for both kids and parents. Well, more specifically for parents than usual. Right. We've got something that's just for parents. But first, let's start with the kids. We've got an awesome preview of what's coming in Season 6 of Tumble. Tumble is coming back for Season 6 on September 18th with all new stories of science discovery. We've got lots of really exciting episodes coming up this season, and we're super excited to share them with you soon. Here's a taste of what's in store. You know, I would sit in this tree all day, and then I'd have questions about, like, you know, why do you drop your leaves in the winter? Why don't you just hold on to them? Do you like it when squirrels jump on your branches? Or what happens when, when my dad cuts a branch off? Does that hurt? Do you, do you feel pain? And I imagined that the tree would answer me in tree language, which would sound like English, but very slow, like this. It turns out, like, you have no idea at the time, but your poop really stinks. Like, it stinks a lot worse than you think it does. Like, when you use the bathroom, you think it smells bad, but actually toilets are an ingenious invention. So when you catch your poo before it hits the water, which you have to do for this kind of research, all of those, like, gases are right there. And it is, it is really gross. <laughs> And I had just happened to read this story about a snot bot. Basically, they're scientists that fly drones through blow of large whales and they collect snot from their blowhole. And I thought that that sounded like the coolest project ever. So I told my supervisor that I wanted to go collect snot from beluga whales. And she's like, cool, go do it. And that's kind of how it started. <laughs> to say this is going to be one amazing season. If you're as excited as we are, we have one request for you. Tell one friend about Tumble. That's it. Just one. But if you want to tell more, I mean, we'll give you some bonus points for sure. It's so easy to share Tumble with a friend. You can just send them your favorite episode. You can show them how to subscribe on their phones or even share a link to our website where we have lots of educational resources. You can search for Tumble Science Podcast for Kids or go to sciencepodcastforkids.com. And that's it. We thank you now and your friend will thank you later. All right, parents, stay tuned because we've got something for you right after this. Okay, we're back. So parents, I'm going to be talking just to you right now. But it's okay if your kids happen to be around, as they always are, and they're listening because everything's family friendly. So let's play Marshall's podcast, Tumble's Teaching Tips, right now. And if you like it, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash tumble podcast for future episodes. Welcome to Tumble Teaching Tips. And on today's episode, we're going to start answering what I think is one of the most difficult questions that I know you all have out there, which is how do I keep my kid engaged in online learning without having to fight with them every day. 
I wanted to create this podcast for you parents who might find yourself suddenly thrown into directly supervising your kids' education in a way that you probably weren't planning on before. I've spent, you know, pretty much my whole adult life in the classroom, and in that time I've learned a thing or two about supervising kids' education, so I thought I'd start sharing with you some of the things I learned in my career, and basically do like a what-I-would-do-if-I-were-you kind of thing. Okay, so the question, how do I keep my kid engaged in online learning? Okay, I've got no silver bullet, and there's really a lot to talk about here, but based on my experience in the classroom and what I learned about motivation and pursuing my master's degree, there are really sort of two big ideas I want to share with you parents that I would employ as a teacher in your situation. So uh, the first big idea is something called self-determination theory which is sort of a theory of motivation. And then the second one is kind of the the ways that I would try to encourage good habits in my students. And it's my opinion that sort of like, in addition to self-determination and fostering good motivation and all that, I think you also need to be able to encourage good habits. First things first, let's talk a bit about self-determination theory. So self-determination theory is a theory of motivation And it's based on the research by two guys named Ed Desi and Richard Ryan. Now, it deals with sort of the conditions that build intrinsic motivation in relationships, in work, in parenting, and so on and so forth. So the overall goal is how do you get your kid to want what you want and not just be responding to incentives or external control? So according to self-determination theory, intrinsic motivation has three essential ingredients, and they are competence, which is basically to say, is the task I'm being asked to do within my capabilities, but maybe, you know, enough of a stretch that it's interesting and challenging and not boring. Uh, Relatedness, meaning it connects to something that I value. Or autonomy. From the point of view of a parent, you don't necessarily have a lot of control over what your kid is being assigned to learn or what's going on at the school. I mean, that's up to your teachers and the administrators, and um, we're just going to assume that everybody there is doing a great job. But what you need to do is kind of be able to foster some kind of intrinsic motivation for school in your kid in your house. So the first thing I would try to do, especially if you have a kid who's really struggling to stay engaged with online learning, is just to try to understand how it looks from their perspective. So, like, what do they think about school? And do they have concrete goals or desires that school either gets in the way of or that it could support? And then second, once you've sort of really had that conversation and you understand what's going on in your kid's head with respect to school, you want to try to understand what they want. So this is relatedness. Why is school important to their lives? At the start of the school year, week or month or, you know, whenever, um, just have a conversation with your kids about goals that they've developed themselves, like help them build goals for themselves having to do with school, maybe not, maybe having to do with some broader project that they're working on and that hopefully working on school can help them get there. But you need to ask them questions like, what do you want out of life? Where are you headed? What's important? What kinds of things do you enjoy? Where do you see yourself going as an adult? And you really, I really think you want to have these conversations often. So like, you know, if I was setting up big goals, I'd have a big goal conversation at the start of a term or something like that. But then like bring it back maybe every day, every week, just whatever you have time for. Um, Just to keep 
that big picture in your kid's head and keep it present. I mean, kids are young and uh, it's easy to forget what you want in a big picture, I think, even for adults. So you really have to kind of drive it home and help them uh, stay focused on what they want out of school. So that, that's kind of the relatedness piece. The other piece is about control. You know, in, in support of autonomy, I'd really try to give as much control as I can manage over to the kid when it comes to their education. So just remember, this is their education. So they need to be in the driver's seat. They can't be just doing it to keep you happy or to keep their teachers happy. This is for them. This is really for them. They need to know it and they need to feel like they're in control. So, you know, depending on the school, they might be offered a lot of control in the curriculum or, you know, not much. As a parent, as I've already said, you can't control what your school's going to do. But I think you can spend time thinking about things that you can hand responsibility over to your kids. You know, maybe it's where they work or when they work or how they work. Or if there's homework, maybe they get to do it a little bit over here and a little bit over there. Just kind of big, meaningful things that you can give your kid control over. Now, to me, this doesn't mean like just like, what do you want to do? And you just leave it completely open and you let them choose whatever they want. No. When I was teaching, before I even saw my kids, I would spend time just before the first day or on the first day thinking about things that I could be comfortable handing over control about and then preparing menus, saying, okay, we can do this unit this way, this way, or this way. Here are three options. You pick your option. Or if I give assignments, I'd say, like, here are five criteria I need. I want to see three out of five on these assignments. And then give them a choice about which things they do and which things they don't. Um, the important thing about preparing a menu is you really, really, really want to make a menu where everything on it is completely okay by you. So don't have like four things that you're totally okay with and the fifth that you hope they don't choose. Just make sure there's a menu and that everything's cool. So, you know, once you've sort of thought about what kinds of things you can give control, um, you've thought about how to relate this to their own lives, remember the competence piece. So it's important that what a kid is being asked to do is something they feel they can do. Now, I, I haven't talked about this much. I certainly didn't talk about it first because, again, this is a curriculum decision. This is about what your teachers are asking of your kids. So, you know, if it feels like either it's way too easy or it's way too hard for your kid, I, I would definitely communicate that with a teacher and see, see where you can go from there. That's, you know, not something you have direct control over. So, honestly, as a parent, you just got to do your best. Those are the three pieces relating to their own goals, helping them develop their own goals, control over where they're doing, how they're doing it, whatever you can think of that can give your kids control, and making sure that what they're being asked to do by their school is within their abilities. So, but once you've got that, you've got autonomy and you have conversations about goals and you're pretty sure that your kid is motivated reasonably, you want to start working on good, positive study habits. Because, you know, in my experience, I've taught a lot of kids who care deeply about school, but just their habits are so poor that they couldn't even manage to make it through a semester. So they'd set all these lofty goals, I'm going to get straight A's, whatever, 
But then when it came time to actually perform, they just couldn't do it, and they failed, and they felt miserable. So really, I think the main thing about developing habits in kids is you want to keep it positive. As a teacher, I discovered pretty early on that I could, just by noticing the good things that my students were doing, I really didn't have to attend a lot to the bad things they were doing because for the most part, you know, class would be so fun, it'd be so positive that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have to be intervening all the time trying to stop this nasty behavior. And certainly one thing I've learned is the more you attend to something from your kid, the more you're going to get of it. So keep it positive. Keep it positive. Let me give you just a little bit about how? So the first thing is small wins. As much as possible, you really want to create opportunities for small wins for your kids, and you want to celebrate them. And now, when I say small wins, I mean like really small, like really, really small. Oh, you sat down. Woo! That's a win. That's great. I love that you sat down, right? You sat down with your computer and opened your virtual textbook instead of going to YouTube. Woo! That's a win. Now, gradually, build the size of wins. You sat down and didn't open YouTube. Woo! Oh, and you did three problems. Woo! Right? Over time, build them up, make them more complex. As each individual small win becomes mastered, then you can start making it bigger, making it harder. Oh, you did 30 problems. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That sort of thing. Now, um... As a teacher, I'm, I'm really always relentlessly positive. And to me, this doesn't mean being dishonest, but I philosophically believe you should spend most of your time, attention, and energy really focusing on the good. And if you do that well, you can ignore the bad. So that being said, I've gotten some really very good advice about how to praise. And specifically, there's a, a construct that comes from a guy named Alan Kasdan, who's a researcher on behavior modification from Yale. And he said some amazing things about this, and I'll make sure you've got a link to some of his YouTube videos. And he's even got a Coursera about parenting, which is terrific. When you praise your kids, you set up the opportunity for the small win, and you're ready to celebrate it after it's happened. So first, you need genuine enthusiasm. You need to be genuinely pleased, and you need to communicate that non-verbally as well as verbally. So like big smiles, you know, just genuine expressions of enthusiasm. Now, if your kid is older and more cynical and so on and so forth, you know, those like over-the-top things that you might do with a little kid, you, you're going to have to, you know, temper. But, you know, just make sure you're really authentically enthusiastic when you offer praise. Um, the other thing uh, Dr. Kasdan says is specifically name what they did right you opened your class page instead of YouTube. Woo! And then give sort of like a gentle touch, a handshake, or a high five, something nonverbal and physical that communicates your enthusiasm. So in my experience as a teacher, this kind of thing seriously works. It seriously works. If nothing else, like it can really help you keep focused on the positive and help make the experience of being with you and of being educated a really positive one for you and your kids. Certainly that's been my experience with all of my students. The more I praise them, the more I am enthusiastic, and the more I'm specific about my praise, and not just, you know, saying like, hey, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're wonderful. 
But you know, saying things like, oh, you picked up your guitar right, you made a G chord and that's perfect, that sort of thing. The more I've been enthusiastic and positive like that, the better my results have been, always. Uh, the two big things we've talked about, having big conversations with your kid and understanding their perspective, help them set goals that they actually care about, and connect those goals to what they're doing in school. And then give them control over as much of their learning as you can, based on their developmental stage or whatever. The second thing was habit formation, which is just creating small wins that build the bigger ones and giving genuine praise whenever those wins happen. Well, Marshall, I think those tips were really useful. I hope so. And if you thought so, too, go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast to listen to future episodes, request topics, and of course, receive all our other great rewards like birthday shoutouts and bonus interview episodes with scientists. That's it for this special episode. And don't forget, tell a friend that Tumble Season 6 starts September 18th. As we say, stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. 